This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Tonight, straight from the source, Senator Mitt Romney, a rare voice against Trump in the GOP, announces that he won't seek a second term and is taking on his own party for, quote, putting the Constitution aside. Plus, President Biden responding for the first time to Speaker McCarthy's impeachment inquiry, the one that his White House calls a political stunt, baseless and illegitimate. And in a brand new interview tonight, outgoing Joint Chiefs Chairman General Mark Milley is responding to that claim by the former president that he drew up an attack plan for Iran. He says not so. I'm Caitlin Collins, and this is The Source. Republican Senator Mitt Romney is headed for the exit and says he won't seek re-election. The Utah Republican citing his age and suggesting that other leaders, including President Biden and former President Donald Trump, should too, and instead welcome the next generation of leaders to step forward. But he is also speaking bluntly about the state of his party, polarized politics, and yes, his nemesis, Donald Trump, delivering this scathing indictment for Republicans' continued loyalty to the former president. There's no question but that the Republican Party today is is in the shadow of Donald Trump. I represent a small wing of the party, if you will, I call it the wise wing of the Republican Party. My wing of the party talks about policy and about issues that will make a difference to the lives of the American people. The uh, Trump wing of the party uh, talks about resentments of various kinds and getting even and and settling scores. On the Trump wing of the party, I haven't heard policy other than saying we're going to build a wall. And by the way, he was president. He was president for four years. He built 50 miles. What did he get done? Hearing that and thinking about the state of the 2024 race, and the Republican primary as it is now, it's almost hard to remember that it wasn't that long ago Romney was the Republican presidential nominee in 2012. But he made a historic break with others in his party when he became the only Republican senator who voted to remove Donald Trump from office, not once, but twice. His announcement is coming just weeks before the release of the new biography titled Romney, A Reckoning by the writer McKay Coppins. Romney told the author, quote, a very large portion of my party really doesn't believe in the Constitution. There's some portion of my party and the opposition party who thinks we need to have a a strong person, a strong man to to put aside the Constitution. For that matter, President Trump, former President Trump, said we should put aside the Constitution and reinstall him as president. I mean, so, yeah, there are some people who believe that. I believe they're sorely wrong. There's another stunning revelation from the book that we are learning about, a text message that Romney sent to then-Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell four days before January 6th. The exchange began after a warning that he got from Senator Angus King to Romney regarding this dark online chatter leading up to the 6th. Romney was so alarmed by what he heard from Senator King that he texted McConnell this, and I'm quoting from the text message now. In case you have not heard this, I just got a call from Angus King, who said that he had spoken with a senior official at the Pentagon who reports that they are seeing very disturbing social media traffic regarding the protest planned on the 6th. There are calls to burn down your home, bitch. 
to smuggle guns into D.C. and to storm the Capitol. I hope that sufficient security plans are in place, but I'm concerned that the instigator, the president, is the one who commands the reinforcements the D.C. and Capitol Police might require. According to the book, McConnell never responded to that message. For perspective on this, I want to bring in someone who knows Senator Mitt Romney well. Stuart Stevens was the chief strategist in his 2012 campaign, also worked on his Senate race, and is the author of The Conspiracy to End America. Stuart, in this, Mitt Romney puts it bluntly. He says, a very large portion of my party really doesn't believe in the Constitution. Do you think part of his decision today is that he doesn't feel like there's room for him in today's Republican Party? Well, I I think Mitt... Speaking his mind here, I mean, what he says is what he says. I think his off the record and his on the record are pretty much the same now. Um, look, um, you know, Mitt Romney was right in 2016 when he came out in the spring and said this about Donald Trump. And think about where the country would be, where the world would be, if others of any kind of courage at all in the Republican Party had followed him. He had been the previous nominee. He had standing. And I think it's fair to say that he was surprised that more didn't follow him. And it's, it's been a historical collapse of a moral governing force of what was once a, a serious party. You mentioned that surprise. Part of this excerpt talks about how when Romney first came to the Senate, he was surprised by how many people uh, agreed with him about Trump that were also disgusted by him. Yet he says that few were willing to say it publicly like he was. He said that McConnell told him regarding when Trump was attacking senators who were going to serve as jurors in his impeachment trial. Trump's an idiot. He doesn't think when he says things, how stupid do you have to be to not realize that you shouldn't attack your jurors? You're lucky, McConnell told Romney, you can say the things that we all think. I mean, what do you make of the fact that he says they all thought it, but very few said it? Yeah, McConnell's wrong about that, like a lot of things. This is just an excuse that Mitch McConnell has come up with, you know, cowards love company. And that's what's happened in the Republican Party. So there's nothing to stop Mitch McConnell from telling the truth. Mitt Romney did. Mitt Romney's like, you know, he didn't get sent to a camp. Well, he kind of got pushed out of the party, though, didn't he? Well, you know, I think if more had been willing to put what the oath of office they took, to put country over party, so maybe you lose a primary. So what does that mean? You know, you, you, you don't get to be Ted Cruz's colleague anymore. Is it not better to defend the country? When you think about the legacy that this generation of Republicans inherited from the greatest generation, I mean, it, it, they have just squandered that. It's, it's really un, ama- just un, so un-American and amazing what they have done. And it's, uh, I think it's going to go down as history. It's, it's one of the great... Uh, betrayals of what it means to be an American. And Mitch McConnell has led that parade. You know, it's not just about the the threats of losing a primary, losing a race. It's also about physical threats. I mean, he he says, he talks at one point about being heckled at a rally in Utah where a mother who had her, her kid by her side, this is actually video from where he was heckled, was screaming at him. And essentially, you know, other people who watched what happened to people like Mitt Romney see that this is what happens when you are Republican if you do speak out like the way he did against Trump. Yeah, I mean, I think that would be a textbook uh, definition of cowardice, wouldn't it be? To not do the right thing because you're afraid. 
And, uh, you know, look at how did it work out for Mitch McConnell and these Republicans? Mitch McConnell woke up on January 5th, 2021. He was majority leader. He woke up on January 6th, 2021. He was minority leader. And he and his colleagues were running for their life in the own office by from a terrorist group instigated by the president of the United States that they had supported. And yet Mitch McConnell still refused to convict this man. I, I just think it's just such a, uh, if, if you were teaching a class in how to destroy civility, how to destroy uh, a social fabric, what it means to be a coward, you could not do any better than to look at Mitch McConnell and these Republicans. And they know it. At some level, they are ashamed, and that's why they won't company. And yet Mitch McConnell still is afraid to say Donald Trump's name. I mean, how sad is that and how terrible it is for the country and the world? Well, and when Mitch, when Senator Romney was speaking to reporters today after this announcement, he, he praised McConnell and said uh, good things about him and the work that he's done. It's, just, it's an interesting position. Uh, Stuart Stevens, obviously you know Senator Romney well. Thank you for joining tonight. Thank you. And joining me now is former Democratic Senator Barbara Boxer of California. Senator, thank you for joining me. I mean, since you retired from the Senate in 2016, we've seen Trump's grip on the Republican Party only get stronger since then. What does a Senate without Mitt Romney in it look like? It's bad. I'm I'm really very saddened that he won't be running. I totally respect his decision. I made the same decision. I was exactly how old he was when I left. But here's the thing. This party is turning into an anti-democracy party. And, you know, I came up um, a long time ago in the 70s and 80s and 90s and so on. And yes, we had huge disagreements on a ton of issues. But the one place we had agreement was on voting rights and democracy and passing the Voting Rights Act unanimously almost. And, you know, before that, the, both parties supported lowering the age of voting and uh, vote by mail. All these things were embraced. And now we see this party and, uh, you know, you could see it in this impeachment uh, where the main issue driving them is power, power and turning Americans against each other. And Mitt Romney never stood for that. He always stood for bringing us together, for solving problems across party lines and supporting democracy. So I'm sad today about that. Well, speaking of democracy, I mean, two people that he talks about is Senator Ted Cruz and Senator uh, Josh Hawley, talking about how they, in his belief, placed politics above democracy with their actions, uh, echoing Trump's election lies. This is what he added today when he was asked about that specifically. Democracy requires uh, belief and credibility in, in elections. And, and uh, so people who are casting aspersions on our election process are threatening one of the bases of our very, uh, very foundation. But is, is that a reason, instead of leaving, is that a reason to stay, in your view? You know, leaving a job you love is hard. I don't know if he loved it. You know, he was governor before. He was a presidential candidate. I, I can't I can't think about what's in his mind, but I do respect his decision. You know, it's um it's all over the place. A lot of people say there ought to be an age limit. I don't believe in that. 75 and you're out. So this proves the point. Don't have these artificial 
years put on a person because right now he's he's needed. You know, Liz Cheney was needed. They voted her out. So it goes deep inside the Republican base and this whole MAGA situation where the most important thing is power, power, power. And, you know, as I say, you could see it with Kevin McCarthy, who is just running around in circles because the MAGA right has him in their a grip and they do everything but say, sit down, stay, roll over, Kevin, and give me your paw. I mean, this is where we're at. It's, it's a horrifying situation of where the Republican Party is today. You're saying that this is a reason, you know, age shouldn't be a reason to leave. But he did cite his age. Obviously, you were saying you're the same age as him. He'd be yeah. 80 in his 80s in a second term if he did. But he also said, you know, this isn't just about him. This is what he said about President Biden and former President Trump and their ages, given they're both running again. Oh, I think it would be a great thing if both President Biden and former President Trump were to stand aside and let their respective party pick someone in the next generation. Uh, President Trump, excuse me, President Biden, when he was running, said he was a transitional figure to the next generation. Well, time to transition. Do you agree with that? No, I don't agree with it because I look at President Biden and I do know, yeah, he's 80 years old. But look what this man has done. I mean, he brought order to chaos. He brought us back from the depths of despair with COVID. He's one of the most compassionate people. He's passed so much legislation. They're comparing him to FDR. And, you know, yeah, he's a transitional president, but maybe he'll transition a few more years. But look, we're going to see who stands up and runs. And each party has to bring forward their best person that they think is going to represent their values. And right now it appears to be uh, the Democrats will elect Joe Biden and the Republicans will probably put forward Donald Trump, which is really terrible for the country because this is a man who literally has already told us what he's going to do if he's elected. He's basically said he's going to do away with democracy. He's going to fire all the federal workers and put his people in place. I've never heard of it. So it's a rough go and a rough patch for this country. But I have always believed, and I've lived through some very tough times, that the people are going to fight back. And every person within the sound of my voice who knows that their freedom is on the line, you know, the, re the respect that they deserve is on the line, and that we do better when we're united, not divided. That's what's on the line. Former Senator Barbara Boxer, I should note Trump is, is cheerleading Senator Mitt Romney's exit, but thank you for your time tonight. Okay. Meanwhile, another impeachment could be on the horizon as House Speaker Kevin McCarthy has appeased some on his right flank by launching an inquiry as he did yesterday, as he defended today. But some troubles remain. A member of his caucus will take us behind the scenes in a moment. Also, two dictators, one very long handshake, what if Vladimir Putin and Kim Jong-un agreed to? I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life... Lately, we have been paying attention to a very different virus, bird flu, which is caused by the H5N1 virus. If you start to hear that it's circulating in pigs, that would be a concern. That means I would go from sleeping with one eye open to one and a half eyes open. Yeah, that would make me very concerned. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts.
New tonight, Nancy Pelosi responding to her, her successor in the House, coming after Kevin McCarthy today, defended not holding a full vote in the House before he launched his impeachment inquiry into President Biden, citing the way that Pelosi launched her impeachment inquiry into then-President Trump in 2019. This is what she told Anderson Cooper. No, it was completely not true. We had a few weeks where we had to make our case, and, and I had signed six chair, committee chairs to get the information and the rest, and that then prepared us to bring the bill to the floor. They've had, what, nine months of collecting information. They have nothing. For a response to that and more tonight, I am joined by Florida Republican Congressman Mike Waltz. Congressman, thank you for being here. Speaker McCarthy did say 11 days ago this wasn't going to happen without a full House vote. And then, as you know, he did so without a full House vote. Do you know what changed? Well, look, I think at the end of the day, one of the things about Speaker McCarthy is he listens uh, to his rank and file members. And there are many of us, me included, uh, that thought the evidence was so overwhelming, uh, number one. And number two, you know, I hope Speaker Pelosi also took credit in that interview for breaking decades and decades of precedent. Uh, we told her at the time uh, that if you break this precedent, kind of, you know, the Pandora's box is open. She did anyway. We told Harry Reid, uh, you know, 10, 12 years ago that if he broke precedent and and uh, started confirming judges uh, without going to a filibuster that, you know, that that was going to let Pandora's box out as well. That's why precedent matters in our system. Uh, and Speaker McCarthy's uh, following it. But what changed in the 11 days? I mean, 11 days ago, he said he would not do this without a full vote in the people's house. 11 days later, he did it. Well, I think he he suggested that. I think a lot of people, uh, you know, a lot of people say a lot of things. Uh, there are a lot of considerations that went into it. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, look, Caitlin, the, the evidence here is just so overwhelming. Uh, we're not entering articles of impeachment. Uh, today, what we're doing is an enhancing an investigation and giving it greater legal standing. Uh, and between the 150 suspicious activity reports, between the shell companies, between the whistleblowers, between the testimony from his uh, from Hunter Biden's business partners that show that Joe Biden completely lied and to the we'll, American people we'll on multiple occasions. I don't know what more evidence we need to go down that road. In terms of what specifically went into Kevin McCarthy's uh, calculation. Uh, I'm not sure uh, because I, for one, was one saying there is plenty of evidence to say we need an enhanced investigation. Well, Congressman, we'll get into what you're saying justifies this in a moment. But I'm just curious how you personally feel about this, because in 2019, when Trump was being impeached and Pelosi did not call that full vote, as you noted, you said something this important deserves members of the House to go on the record and vote. But you said that Pelosi and Adam Schiff were clearly not concerned with fairness or transparency. If fairness and transparency was important to you then, is it in, isn't it important now? Yeah, sure. And, you know, I mean, you could make an argument like I was I, we could go back as far as you want, Caitlin. We can make an argument that we should still have uh, 60 votes in the Senate before we go to judges. But once you break that precedent, once you change uh, what has been the established norms and rules, then those are changed forever. Uh, that's what Speaker Pelosi did. Uh, and that's you know, that's now the norms and the rules going forward.
Okay, well, it just was confusing because he said it 11 days ago they wouldn't do it. But uh, speaking of the actual what's at the heart of this, the impeachment inquiry, you, you speak about the evidence that you have. Well, there but hang on, three... hang on, Kate. If, if we want to hang on, if we want to stick with this, Speaker Pelosi also, and I hope you pull that up, said that impeachment needs to be fully bipartisan. It needs to be thoughtful. There needs to be plenty of evidence. I mean, she said a lot of things uh, before she then went to impeachment proceedings Number the first time, basically on a phone call transcript, and then the second time without zero investigation. She did the investigation well, there was a, a year too, but after. Let's talk about let's talk going about what's happening to, now, uh, Going to it, yeah, let's but she, you're right. She now. went on one whistleblower. Now we have many. So I, I mean, yeah, we've we had can, one of the whistleblowers on this program, Congressman. But what at the heart of this, yeah, sure. there were already three congressional investigations happening. So does this inquiry, from your understanding, grant you any new powers? What can you do differently? Now that it's gone from three investigations and a special counsel separately at the DOJ, what is different now that it's actually an impeachment inquiry? Well, I think that now we are going to want to see the actual bank records. I mean, you can once subpoena we those have a credible, longstanding FBI informant saying that uh, that a, a Ukrainian oligarch has given $5 million directly to the president in addition to the $5 million to Hunter, when we have uh, multiple correspondence of Hunter complaining of paying uh, his father's bills, when we see shell companies in the name of grandchildren, uh, we're going to want credit card receipts. We're going to want tax returns. Did they pay taxes on that money? We're going to but want bank records. But you have subpoena records. power and we last know week. That you had it three that, months I mean, ago. To That's what I'm question, confused about here. To, but to, to answer your question, all of those things are going to end up in the courts. We know that's where that's going to go. Uh, and at the end of the day, this inquiry gives us greater standing in court rather than just, say, the Ways and Means Committee asking for it. This is part of a formal impeachment require, inquiry. It historically holds greater standings. We think uh, our judicial system and we hope will give it greater weight and that will get transparency for the American people. Well, you already have subpoena power now. I mean, this is something other Republican colleagues of yours and I have talked about. This is something you could have done, these subpoenas you could have issued months ago. You've already actually issued other bank records. But when you look at this inquiry itself, is there any chance that it doesn't turn into a full impeachment in your view? Yeah, but I mean, yeah, we're issuing subpoenas. I mean, but they're getting blocked and tackled uh, and objected to at, at every turn. And we think when You've we start going... You've gotten a ton going, of access I mean, we to have, bank records. We have, that we, have, we have whistleblowers that are self-described Democrats, long-standing civil servants saying they were not allowed to even look into the tax records when you have evidence of uh, taxes not being paid on millions of dollars. That's an internal investigation, much less a congressional one. So we have no confidence that we're going to have a cooperative DOJ. Uh, we have no co uh, evidence that we're going to have a cooperative White House. We know this is going to go they, to the courts, and okay, we know well, historically they have been that an cooperating in the sense that standing. you've seen the suspicious activity reports. I, we have interviewed House Oversight members who went to the Treasury Department and saw that there's been conversations between Chairman Comer and the Justice Department. But for you yourself, when you're talking about the evidence that you say you've seen. And for those listening at home, have you seen anything that directly ties President Biden and shows that he profited from his son's foreign business dealings? We have his son complaining to his relatives about how many of his father's bills he's having to pay with these illicit gains. Have uh, you we seen have a direct evidence that President Biden profited? We have it. Well, I mean, but, but Caitlin, the point of the inquiry is to give us greater standing 
to get the full evidence. If we get full cooperation, if they say we have nothing to hide and give it to us and we don't see anything, then that's where the facts lead us. So you're but saying right it may now, not lead to an actual like impeachment if you those, don't get more evidence. We need to, we need to, we, we're going to follow the facts. We're going to do this responsibly. Uh, but <laughs> I mean, it's pretty astounding to me that when you have, again, civil servant, longstanding whistleblowers, not one, as but you've already interviewed those whistleblowers. Of Trump, but we have many. You already uh, had the ability to talk to them. They weren't allowed access to. They weren't allowed access to records. We haven't been allowed access to records. And what this inquiry will do, hopefully, is give us greater standing in the courts to get those records. I mean, you're acting as though that the Department of Justice, the IRS, and others have given us everything that we asked for. They haven't. Nor did they give internal investigators what they asked for. That's why they became whistleblowers. Well, it's a legislative purpose when you ask for this stuff. They have turned over a lot of bank records. We've heard Chairman Comer talk about it. And still, despite that, we have not seen direct evidence. We'll see what this inquiry leads to. Congressman, thank you very much for your time tonight. All right. Thanks so much. Ahead, a one-on-one with the outgoing chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley. He is pushing back on a claim that was made by the former president about a central piece of evidence in the classified documents case. Two international pariahs turning to each other when few other allies remain. Russia rolling out the red carpet literally to woo the North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un, who then grasped President Vladimir Putin's hand for a full 40 seconds upon his arrival today and said, and I'm quoting him now, he will always be standing with Russia. This visit included a tour of Russia's rocket launch facility, a state dinner, five hours of negotiations, and it ended with Kim inviting Putin to Pyongyang. But Putin hoped for a major weapons deal to help his supply and resupply his forces that are in Ukraine. In exchange, we were told he was going to promise to help North Korea's struggling space program. Joining me now tonight is Fareed Zakaria, the host of Fareed Zakaria GPS. And Fareed, I mean, I just wonder, you know, seeing these two very isolated leaders meet, toasting as Kim did to Putin's sacred struggle against the West, as he called it, how dangerous do you believe this new era of relations between Russia and North Korea is? Well, it's, it's not dangerous in the sense that it is a sign of weakness. Uh, Vladimir Putin is grasping for straws. He's reaching out to the few people in the international system who are willing to be seen with him. But he couldn't go to the BRICS summit in South Africa for fear of being arrested by the South African government on an international warrant. So he is, you know, he, he is in much worse shape uh, than he was. North Korea is about the last ally you would want in the world. They're a backward, impoverished country. They have a a, a small nuclear program. So it's not really a sign of strength. It's a sign that Putin is, you know, he's up against on the other side. Ukraine's allies, number 50, 60 of the richest, most powerful countries in the world. But these are two spoiler states, by which I mean these are two countries that basically... Uh, survive and thrive on disrupting the international system, on causing tensions, on uh, causing instability. And in that sense, if the two of of them band together more tightly than they are in the past, uh, it is, uh, you know, you could imagine it causing some kind of trouble. North Korea's nuclear ambitions may grow. Uh, It may gain some weapons technologies that it hasn't had before. But, uh, you know, mostly I think Putin is 
doing this because there are not a lot of allies he can he can uh, grab you know he can he can uh, exchange pleasantries with these days, let alone exchange any kind of meaningful commercial or military dealings. Yeah. And separately, you know, as the U.S. is looking at this, obviously this is something they are watching very closely this summit. But speaking of leadership here in the military, I mean, General Mark Milley is going to be stepping down soon as the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. That's at the end of the month. And you sat down and interviewed him. And you talked about something that we focused on a lot here, which are these allegations about this document that Trump had with him that was allegedly these plans to attack Iran, a classified document that Trump was waving around in front of people who didn't have security clearances. It's part of, obviously, a big investigation into Trump right now. This is what General Milley told you about that alleged document. There's a specific accusation about you made by the the former president's chief of staff, uh, Mark Meadows. uh, And he says that there is this four-page memo on attack plan to attack for the United States to attack Iran. Trump himself has talked about this. This is the famous mm-hmm. uh, classified sure. document that he was waving around. But Meadows makes the accusation that uh, you were pressing President Trump to attack Iran. There are other reports that say, in fact, it was Trump who was pressing you. What is the accurate statement? Well, Fred, look at it. It'd be very inappropriate for me to comment on anything that's under a current federal investigation, so uh, I won't. But, but let me just say this. Um, a- as the chairman... Uh, or any member of the Joint Chiefs. Our job is to render advice. Uh, We have plans for all kinds of things. And when we render advice, uh, typically uh, we say course of action one, two, or three. We talk about the costs and the risks, and we make recommendations. And I can assure you uh, that not one time have I ever recommended uh, to attack Iran. What did you make of that pushback, Fareed? I thought it was a striking. In fact, I thought he uh, he went a little beyond what he said he was going to go. You know, he said, "I'm not going to comment mm-hmm. on this," but it clearly uh, annoyed him enough that he decided to to comment on it anyway. And as far as I could tell, that was pretty definitive. Uh, Trump has repeatedly claimed, and as you say, in those in those uh, conversations he had with uh, with uh, people who had no class, you know, no uh, security clearances, uh, that. The Joint Chiefs, that Milley particularly, were pressing him to attack, that this was an attack plan for Iran. Mark Meadows uh, writes that in the prologue of his memoirs, and he gives it pride of place. It is the opening statement of the president's chief of staff. And Milley says definitively that did not happen. Uh, It's worth noting that he's right, uh, Milley is right when he says they, they have attack plans for everything. Uh, the United States surely has, a, you know, plans to all kinds of contingencies. But he was pretty definitive that he did ne- at no point ever recommended that the United States launch an invasion of Iran. Yeah. Cannot wait to see the rest of this interview, Fareed. Thank you for joining me tonight. Such a pleasure. And for everyone else who also wants to watch the rest of it, you can catch that interview this Sunday at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. Eastern, only right here on CNN. And ahead, one of the few columnists that President Biden pays close attention to, that he likes, that he respects, is now saying that he should not be running for president again. This comes, of course, as the White House is preparing to face an impeachment inquiry. Political powerhouse James Carville will weigh in when we return. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting down graduation events. At this moment, 
the part of the protests that are admirable are young people calling attention to atrocities. Michael Roth is the president of Wesleyan University. I would like to make a space for them to do that, as long as that space doesn't prevent other people from pursuing their education. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. A new op-ed from one of the handful of columnists that President Biden reads closely. David Ignatius writing in The Washington Post, President Biden should not run again in 2024. He points to his age and Vice President Kamala Harris's poll numbers as reasons, and I'm quoting him now, Biden risks undoing his greatest achievement, which was stopping Trump. This op-ed, of course, dropping as Republicans launched an impeachment inquiry into the president on Capitol Hill. James Carville ran Bill Clinton's 1992 winning campaign. He invented the modern-day political war room to respond to attacks, and he joins me now. Thank you so much, James, for being here. I mean, what David Ignatius is writing is he says this isn't just a Fox News trope. I'm quoting him. He says it is the subject of dinner table conversations across America this summer. Does he have a point? Of course he does. I mean, plenty of things I can come on your program and say, that's that's just Fox News made up stuff. We need to pivot and segue to the real issues and talk about infrastructure, education, or, or something else. And it's not just what David Ignatius thinks or James Carville thinks or some pundit thinks. It's the American public has real doubts about this. And you can see it in poll after poll after poll. Now, the White House gets frustrated with the media for bringing it up, but they're not going to stop. This is going to continue to be an issue, and they're going to have to figure a way to address it and address it forthrightly. But the idea of saying this is not a real issue and you got to talk about something else, that, that doesn't work because the public, it's a water cooler issue with the public. It, it just is. I'm sorry. Yeah. And, and, and you can you see it. He says that basically they got to decide this soon or, or the stone will be cast, the decision will be made. Democrats, there won't be time to find an alternative. Uh, do you agree that it's a quick timeline here? No, I, I I don't. I know it's a different era. Uh, President Clinton didn't announce until early October of 1991. Lyndon Johnson was running for president in March of 1968. Um, and so I'm got on my podcast. I got Elaine Kmark, who's an expert who writes books about delegate selection and timelines and things like that. And I, I think that's some Beltway mislogic that it, if you don't do it within the next 10 days or 14 days, the process inevitably breaks down. It, it, I, I, don't, I don't agree with that. But by the way, to be honest, there's no sign that President Biden is not fully intending to run for re-election. I, I, I have to say that. I, I have no mm-hmm. inclination that they're reconsidering this or anything like that. And I don't think anybody else does, to be honest with you. But the idea that the drop-dead date is September the 26th, I think is probably gone. Yeah, that's a good point, because there is no indication that President Biden, I mean, he likes David Ignatius. There's no sign he's listening to him. When it comes to the the impeachment inquiry overall, what do you make of how the White House has been handling it so far? Do you think they're being aggressive enough or should there be a war room? Should there be a more out front effort from them? Well, my honest opinion is the people they have leading it are not very smart. In, In fact, they're borderline stupid. I mean, James Comer or, or Jim Jordan and the people in the House that, that are going to be on this committee, like, like Dan Goldman, uh, uh, Delegate Plaskett, I think is a, from, from Virgin Islands, uh, Jamie Raskin. These are very smart people. I, I don't think the White House needs to worry too much about this and let these congressional Democrats who are 
a whip smart of just going to eat these people alive. I, 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 I so want them to, to do this. I, I can't tell you how much I want them to do this. It, it, this is a very You want them idea. to do the impeachment? What do you mean? I want them to hold hearings. Why do you think it's a stupid idea? I want them idea? to hold hearings. And I want, and I want to, and I want to let people, the, the American public, see how, how thin, how non-existent their case is. That the president did anything wrong, and I want our people, who are quite effective lawyers, to get them on cross-examination and do what they're going to do and make fools out of them. There's some polling from CNN and from others as well about, even though, as you know, we just talked about the congressman, there's no direct evidence tying President Biden to benefiting from this. 61% of people do think that he was involved. There's other numbers of people who have questions about it. Do you not think that those hearings could, could raise those numbers, could change well, that? What's your sense? I think it would change it. I think it would drive it down because the public would pay attention to the hearings and they would see front and center how vapid and, and useless this entire endeavor is when it comes to the president doing any, anything wrong. I mean, they can. How, how much more can you embarrass Hunter Biden? But there is zero evidence that the president did a single, had not made a single penny out of this. And they're going to drive that point home, Caitlin. They're just, they're going to drive it home hard. And our people in the House, I have a great deal of, not so much affection for them, but respect and respect for their legal expertise. I wouldn't, I would not want Dan Goldman to cross-examine me. I really wouldn't. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like you're saying you think impeachment could be a good thing. Is that right? That is correct. You're not putting words in my mouth. You're saying, you know, in, in, during the Civil War, when the Sherman marched in Atlanta, they told him that John Bell Hood was taking the Confederate Army north. He said, good, I'll send them rations. Let them go. Great. And that ended up at the Battle of Franklin, which was utter disaster. And that's just what they're walking into. Yeah, I actually think I was, I, I was happy when, Mac you know, McCarthy got out there and said that. that I, I thought, because, oh, wow, <laughs> how could we get so lucky? James Carville, we heard it from you first. Thank you. And uh, I got to tell you, roll you tide this weekend. All right. Roll outside. Go Tigers. Thank you, dear. You bet. Thanks, James. <laughs> Up bet. next, Mark Zuckerberg, Elon Musk. They might be rivals who wanted to fight each other. But today they came together for a common cause on Capitol Hill. No punches were thrown. We'll tell you what was said next. Mark Zuckerberg, Bill Gates, and Elon Musk were among a host of tech titans on Capitol Hill today, warning about the dangers of artificial intelligence. During a closed-door meeting, the attendees were asked if the federal government needs to regulate AI. Every single one of them raised their hands in agreement, according to Senator Chuck Schumer. Why? Well, listen to what Elon Musk said. There is some chance that above zero that AI will feel as well. I think it's low, but it, there's some chance. Um, I think we should also consider the fragility of human civilization. Dodeo Sullivan covers the intersection of tech and politics for CNN. Did He said it's going to kill us all. I mean, he's kind of joking, maybe not joking. Yeah, you always bring me on to talk about these uplifting matters. Kind of, yes. Um, look, I will say this meeting today was behind closed doors. Um, everybody here has to be seen to be doing something, right? The people who run these companies, uh, the lawmakers. Uh, but really, you know, bringing in these billionaires who stand to make billions more dollars uh, from this technology. It's kind of the fox guarding the hen house here, right? Um, in terms of, you know, 
the problems with AI, the potential dangers of AI, it's not something that's in the distant future. I mean, what we're already seeing is artificial intelligence misidentifying true law enforcement, uh, particularly African-American faces in in facial recognition software. Uh, So it's not uh, totally clear you know, what is going to happen, what the lawmakers uh, want. Uh, But what we have seen over the past few months is uh, the Biden administration getting uh, some commitments uh, from tech companies. And I think we have some of them uh, on screen there. Things like companies commit to testing their AI systems for release, uh, commit to publicly reporting their capabilities, limitations, um, and areas of appropriate and inappropriate use. And this is all setting up for a what is to be expected is a Biden executive order, Uh, on AI. Uh, But again, um, you know, they're pretty wishy-washy commitments there. So what are any, you know, this executive order will actually have some bite in it rather than having these companies grade their own homework. I mean, that's going to be the real test here. Yeah. Well, that's what's so interesting. I mean, a lot of them are responsible for a lot of the technology that we're seeing, what this AI technology looks like. And you can't help but think about what we were talking about at the top of the show, which is Senator Mitt Romney saying new generations of leaders need to be in Congress younger people who can deal with today's issues, things like AI, yet were, I mean, do they have confidence that these Congress, that these lawmakers can deal with this? Well, I mean, look, I will just say, hate to be too much of a skeptic and cynic here, but, you know, Congress hasn't been able to pass laws on the internet, never mind social media, never mind AI. Uh, So again, look, I mean, there's a lot of talk about this, uh, but this is such a broad issue. I mean, you know, they are doing the right thing in the sense of bringing the key players into the room uh, and hearing from them. Um, but, you know, what that is actually going to translate to into legislation remains to be seen. I should just mention that in that room today, there was Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg sitting uh, at opposite ends of the room. Uh, probably the first time they've been in the same room uh, since uh, they challenged each other to a cage match. Uh, whether no AI- cage match happened No today. cage match. Whether AI will be able to solve for that particular brand of toxic masculinity <laughs> also remains to be seen. Well, at least all of this will keep you very busy and employed, Yes. Tony. Fully employed. Employed, we hope. <laughs> Tony, thank you. Coming up, they got him, an escaped killer. He was caught today without a single shot fired. It couldn't have happened, though, without a four-legged member of law enforcement with an excellent name. We'll tell you more next. New details tonight on the team behind the capture of that escaped killer in Pennsylvania, including Yoda, the police dog. Officials say that the canine was the key in the takedown of Danilo Cavalcante, saying that he bit Cavalcante's head and lower body as the police are moving in to capture him tonight. You can join Laura Coates for a special edition of CNN Tonight, Manhunt, capturing a killer at 11. You won't want to miss it. Learn all about it there. In the meantime, thank you so much for joining us. And this hour, seen in prime time with Abby Phillips starts right now. Abby, do you think your dog could do that? <laughs> I don't even want to find out, really. But I will say Yoda looked, Yoda looked really proud of himself. <laughs> he, he, sure he, did. Did a, he did a good job. Thanks, Caitlin. Bye. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country. 
Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.